0: i This is Jason. Thanks for listening to our weekly teaching podcast from our Sunday morning worship gathering. We're currently in a series on Hebrews. This is the uh, third week of it. We're going to be in Hebrews 5. In um, the beginning of this series, we kind of like started going real fast and going through chapters real quick, hitting some highlights. And then about uh, at the end of this week, I go, you know what? We need to slow down a little bit and start really chewing on some of these these verses and some of these uh, things that the the pastor the writer of hebrews is saying and so what happened what was going to be an eight-week series which i've already said in previous intros end up being is going to be a full summer And so we're we slowed down quite a bit we were going through hebrews 5 this week but starting next week we're going to be three weeks in hebrews 6 and then we're just we're just going to slow down so anyway thanks for listening we appreciate your listenership if you'd like to know more about our church casper Alliance church you can check us out at casperchurch.com Uh, If you'd like to find our app out there, go to your smart uh, device or your iPad, your phone, go to your app store, look for Casper Lions Church, find the double C's, and you can download our app and connect with us there. Hey, have a great day. Thanks for listening. There's every now and again where I get kind of nostalgic during church, and uh, I think about things and uh, just think about our life as a family. And, and this is not a problem in this particular church. It's actually a beautiful thing. Uh, I remember my, um, so the first ministry that I worked in, uh, when Caleb was born, that was the first baby in that church in years. I'm years. It was a, but it wasn't necessarily an older church. It had like teenagers and stuff like that. But it just the population. It was the first time that there had been a baby at the church. And so what I'm saying is that like that's not an issue here. We there's babies all the like the we you the joke was don't drink the water, Adrian, when we come here because you might get pregnant. That's the, and I was like maybe Wyoming doesn't understand, but the. <laughs> But there, like, there's tons of babies here. There's tons of children. And so I remember Adrienne coming to church the very first time as a new mom. And the entire church was like, I cannot wait to grab this child and hold this baby because we haven't seen one of these in the wild in so long in this church, which again, all of you moms here who are bringing new babies, there's a lot of them right now. This is like year three of new baby year, right? Like we've been through like three cycles of this, I think, I think three cycles. How old... You're, you're three and a half, four, almost four. So that round was seven. Then we had a round of like four. And then now we have a round of five. It's good. But the first time that Caleb went to church, it was a problem. Now imagine being a new mom and bringing your new baby for the very first time to church. And everybody wants to touch your baby, right? That's outside of your family. Like that was the issue we were going through. And we held off as long as possible for Adrienne to go to church with the new baby as long as possible. New mom, new household, new, like we're the new pastor in town. And it was just, there was pressure from the church. Like, Hey, when's Adrienne going to come out of like, like, listen, she just had a kid like three weeks ago. Seriously. She should be at church. Like not everybody's breathe where she comes to church at four days after having a baby. Next day. That, that's true. It wasn't next day. Everybody's like, girl, you're crazy. Anyway, the day finally arrived for Caleb to make his appearance at the church that had never had a baby before, or at least in a decade or two. Adrienne gets the baby all dressed up. Caleb. Obviously, we lost our influence based on dressing up for church. <laughs> but the kid was dressed beautifully. He had his his baby suit on. Adrienne dressed like how new moms dress. Like I just could barely get through the morning with this child. Comes to church. Caleb is brought into the, you know, like Simba in The Lion King, pre- presented before the congregation. You know, the, the light shine down on, on the baby. And what do babies do at church? They cry and they do other things. They, they, they remove their, their fluids. And so Adrienne, new mom, new baby, new church even, has to take the baby, Caleb the baby, To the bathroom to change baby's diaper, and I don't. That that bathroom didn't even have changing tables. No, so she's changing the baby on the bathroom floor, or the countertop, or the sink. You know, like not where you want to change your baby, right? And Caleb, when you're changing the diaper, you know, air hits the things, (laughs) and the and the baby Caleb decided it was time to go to the bathroom for the second time, number two. And shot number two up the sleeve of Adrienne's outfit. This is new baby at the church, first time, first mom coming in. We haven't seen a baby, and this baby now just pooped on his mother. And she was mortified. And I'm like, how long does it take to change a kid? I mean, we've had this kid for like a, like four weeks. You know how to change a diaper. That's what I'm thinking. Where did they go? And she comes back and she's like, Caleb pooped all over me. And I was like, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> and he's continued to do that every Sunday since. <laughs> Here's the deal. Man, it's a lot of pressure to bring your kids to church. It is. And I love that our church loves kids and we really don't care how they behave most of the time. There might be some of you in this room that go like, listen, this is a problem for this child to be dancing around and in in like doing what they're doing. Stop it. Here's what I think. I think that it's hard to raise a family in front of everybody else. And Adrienne and I continue to try to do that with our children to raise, you in front, raise our kids in front of you guys. And we're doing the best that we can today there's been seasons where we've done better and seasons where we've done worse. But I, I want to give you encouragement, moms. And anybody who's judging moms, stop. You're doing great. You're doing great. Amen. You're doing great. And our kids, our kids in this church, um, whether you've, you've been embarrassed by their bodily functions or not, they're loved and they're cared for. And as our kids get older, it's fun to watch them turn into these adult creatures that are, make you uncomfortable. Like, we're getting to the point now where we've been here a little bit of time and I'm, I'm looking at Joy Weeby going, I have you locked in like this and now you're like this and that's strange. Like, we're, and that's gonna continue to happen. It's a beautiful blessing that we have. It's, it's a beautiful blessing. But moms, we appreciate you. Thank you for working hard. I, we know what it's like in our household. Um, we've had some fun and we know what it's like to bring your kid to church every Sunday for years. It's difficult and we know cuz we're judging you and we know the ride over was fun amazing i just want to make sure all of you moms repented before you walked into the church we're going to be in hebrews 5 today now here's the deal i'm saying this because it has a connection the whole theme of hebrews 5 is that jesus is an example he's an example Right, and, and I know that we beat ourselves up sometimes, as like, and I know this happens from a mom standpoint. We beat ourselves up that maybe we haven't done a good enough job and a good enough example, and it's not true. It's not true. All, all of us, everybody in this room has, has, and not just moms, but all of us have a thing that we're bringing to the table that can be an example to encourage the person next to us. But the story of Hebrews is Jesus is greater than. He is greater than all of the things that you could put before him, and he's still better than that. And, and then I, I, I kind of hear myself in the, in the story of the Hebrew uh, scripture, like the, the, uh, the book of the Hebrews is that I'm like, well well, you don't know me, you don't know what my life is like. You don't know how I am. You don't know Jesus, you don't know what I've experienced or what I've tasted or how my life has looked or the way I feel. Sure, you're better than Moses, and sure, you're better than Abraham, and sure, you're better than the angels. Sure, you're better than all of these things that have been presented before me. But you don't know me. You don't know what my life is like. And Hebrews 5 says no. Jesus does know. And Jesus is an example. So if you can get in your head, the whole point of Hebrews 5 is to say that Jesus served as a perfect example, not just to, for us to follow, but to be inspired by, to be comforted by, to be spurred on by. And we're gonna to end today with, with uh, a couple of little words, I hope, and a video that I, I just want, I wanna give like a launching pad for like, yes, I can follow this Jesus. And he knows my experience. He knows. So let me read Hebrews 5 to you. It's kind of long, but this is the whole point. And I don't think I'm going to preach too deeply or weave in and out. We're going to be just in Hebrews 5. But Jesus is an example of someone you can follow to give you courage, to give you inspiration, to give you purpose, to give you uh, the motivation to keep going, no matter how discouraging it is right now, no matter how frustrating it is right now. I've used the story of Caleb's first day at church to, to I encourage tons of moms over our 20 years of ministry, because it's hard. It's hard, and when you want things to be perfect, there are there's variables. There are variables, and and at the end of the day, Jesus serves as the perfect example for us to continue to follow and walk through. Listen to this. I'm going to pick it up at the end of of chapter four. is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weakness. That is why we must offer sacrifices for his own sin as well as theirs. And no one can come can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. That is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest. No, he was chosen by God who said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And in other passages, God said to him, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with loud cries cries and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of the deep reverence for God, because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey obey him. And God designated him to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain. You're like, thank you. Thank you for opening up this can of worms and then hitting the eject button, writer of Hebrews, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Let me say that again. I'm not talking to you or at you. I'm just reading what has been written. There is much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Thanks for the encouragement, writer of Hebrews. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic thing about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. You know, the first few chapters of Hebrews are are negative. They're just negatives. They're warnings. They're like, they're like uh, little check marks. They're like, hey, remember, 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 and you're not quite good enough. And then, like, there's this tipping point that happens at the end of, of chapter four that's supposed to become encouraging for the rest of the chapter. And this is actually written in an encouraging way, even though our transliterated English versions of it make it seem not very encouraging. Like the writer saying, "You're dull." Like, that is not something that I would lead with or even end a conversation with. Hey, I'm telling you all this stuff, but I know you can't even take it in because you're dull. It doesn't. But there is, there's a warning here. There's a warning here that, that, that is not supposed to be a discouragement, but an encouragement. It's this thing that's that's supposed to begin to to stir us up towards something to begin to like begin to like push us in a way to go wait a second you said this thing about me is that true now let me examine my life and let me examine this thing that you're telling me or teaching me or showing me. Let me look at what you're talking about. I've heard of this Melchizedek guy and we if you remember and you can go back and listen to it, we talked about it I don't know like 6 weeks ago because I knew it was coming. Melchizedek's an important character in the scriptures. It's he comes in at the in Genesis chapter 14, he shows up and blesses Abram and shows up as the king of Jeru- or Salem or Jerusalem as a priest king. Now, Now, what the the writer of Hebrews is saying here, that there's this line of kings or line of priests that you have to be from, and it's from the line of Aaron. It's the Levites. But there's something different happening here with Jesus, because Jesus is a priest. Now, remember, I've said this every week, and it's like kind of my new phrase, if you're paying attention. The priest is supposed to give the people a taste of the divine, a taste of heaven, That's what a priest does. He's the the intermediary. He's the the person in the middle that, that shows the people who God is. That's why as the New Testament unfolds, you, get, you begin to hear the language and, and read that we are the new priesthood, the priesthood of all believers. We are, have been invited into this, this effort to show what a priest does. Look at verse one of chapter five. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. Your story of your dealings with God is something that you can share with someone else to give them a taste of who God is, to encourage them, to inspire them, to spur them on, to push them just a little bit, to present to them who this God is. This is the thing that we've lost, I believe, in just our societal living. We have a tough time with accountability we have a tough time being pushed. We have a tough time being told that we're not great at something. I know we've joked about it for a couple decades now but with, the tr- with the trophy life. Bless you. Bless you, Kim. We've, we've, we've joked about it. Like everyone gets a trophy. You're a winner. You're a winner. You're a winner. You're a winner. Listen, in the 80s, we were losers. If we didn't win, we lost. And the, I'm not going to go on some sort of soapbox diatribe about that, but I was a loser more than I was a winner. But then when I won, I was like, I let everybody know that I was a winner because I had lost so much at that point. But there's a thing that happens to the, the, the mind that, that, said that you refuse to recognize that you're not great at something, that I'm, that I'm excellent at everything because I've been told so. And here's the deal. When you fail at something, it is catastrophic, when you believe that you're excellent at everything. It is an emotional punch to the gut. This is why the new mother thing is so interesting to me because you have no idea if you're good or bad. All you're doing is looking at everybody else and saying I wanna do it like this or I wanna do it like that or I wanna be like this and this is the best way to do it. Look at their kids, they're amazing. Look at their kids, they're amazing and I wanna promise you that no one's good at anything. We're all horrible at everything. And we're just, we're faking it. Let's just be honest. We're faking it. The point here is that when we dive into this idea of Jesus being greater than everything, we have a a figure that shows us the way to battle through suffering, to give us encouragement that has entered into the Holy of Holies and has grabbed salvation by the throat and passed it on to us. And that is worth following. Do we get like the the key steps on how to follow Jesus day in and day out? I bet you if we were to go around the room today and we were to start to do like a Casper Alliance Church instant poll and we were to ask every single person in this room, how do you follow Jesus? We would get 900 different sort of answers or variation. There's people who get up and do devotions in the morning. There's people who pray and do devotions at night. There's people who love worship and there's people who hate it. There's people who have the gift of giving and they feel God's presence when they are generous with others. They, there are people who, uh, who want to experience because they, Jesus through their teaching. And we all experience and walk, walk in faith differently. And if we, the faster we acknowledge that and recognize that, the, the quicker we'll stop judging or judging ourselves probably more than anything else the way in which we do it. Here's the deal. Spiritual practices are the key to having spiritual growth. Spiritual practices get you as close to Jesus as possible, to follow him as best as you possibly can. Those practices put into your life, inputted into your life, are the reflection of what's happening here. Now here's the encouragement of Hebrews. So it's plain claiming Jesus is this high priest king. He is in the order of Melchizedek. And if you, were, if you were a Hebrew or you were a Jew, this name Melchizedek, boom, it triggers something in your mind and you had something in your head. And David invoked the, the order of Melchizedek and he danced before the Lord. We read that a few weeks ago. Go back and listen to it. And, and actually Psalm 110, I think is the most quoted Psalm in the entire New Testament. And, Testament. and it's all about Melchizedek and the order of Melchizedek and what he brings to the table, but it's quoted all over the place. But here's the deal. We recognize Jesus has entered the Holy of Holies. He's greater than, greater than, greater than. He does all these things. And we ask this question, well, you don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't know what it's like to walk with the way I walk. You don't know what has happened to me. You don't know what, what these people did to me in my job. You don't know how the way my kid behaves at home. You don't know anything about me. And here's what the Hebrew writer says. Whoa, 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 wow. Jesus was here on earth. Verse seven, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. Take the word death, right? That's the end. Rescue him from death. Well, take this word, that's the end. There is nothing worse on planet earth than death. Maybe some of you would disagree, like, listen, I don't really wanna be paralyzed. Well, we can argue about that, but the idea of death being separated, that's, this is the end, Death is the end. The, it's, you're done. And so when the, writers, the writer of Hebrews is putting this out and he's saying he prayed with loud cries, he requested, he, he went to the Lord, he went to God asking him to rescue him from death. Put in your own blank. Rescue me from, rescue me from, rescue me from what, whatever that is. If death is the worst, There's a whole list before that. Rescue me from making poor choices. Rescue me from being mean. Rescue me from having a bad attitude. Rescue me from being negative in all my life. Jesus gave an example of going before God the Father to say, I need rescued from this death. I want to be rescued from this. I don't want to experience this. Rescue me, Lord, please. Father, rescue me. You should follow that, an example, with anything in your life. Rescue me from this pain. Rescue me from this annoying person. Rescue me from my children today. Mothers, you're like, please give me a break from all of this. Then what happened? Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. He didn't learn obedience because he didn't have obedience. He learned what it meant on a deeper, more visceral level, not for obedience sake, but to show and to encourage those who follow him. Luke explores this too, and um, at at the end of like the second chapter, where it says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, he explores this idea of like, what's going on, and when Jesus is eight year old version of Jesus, like is is he learning how to ride a bike? What's he What's he doing? He's, is he just fully formed? Like Jesus just shows up and he can write in calligraphy, <laughs> cursive. He knows how to. He knows how to build in Web 3 or whatever that is. I mean, he knows everything. Like this, We have this picture of Jesus, right? That he's the son of God. He is God. He's divine. True. But the experience that he walked and lived and had on, on earth is purposeful for us to say, I want to follow this. Because he grew in wisdom and stature. He grew in his ability to to be fully fulfilled. It's a wild, wild mental game that I think we play. And a lot of, a lot of people out there try to dismiss who Jesus is by reading this. Well, if he wasn't obedient, what was going on here? No, no. He learned obedience so that he could live it out and we could follow. Nobody loves to follow somebody who doesn't have it all put together. I mean, let's be honest. We give, that's why we're doing so great guys. but there is something about following somebody who's gone through and walked through and been through the experience. The human experience of being called to your death is tough. And if all of you in this room knew the exact pinpoint or, or you could know the day in which you were going to die, what would be the week before that? What would that look like? How would you live it? My first instinct is not Jesus-oriented. It's like, let's go take out a massive loan and do something crazy. 500000 on black. Like that's, like, that's my instinct. My instinct is like, what can I do to be, like, let's try all the things. Because I don't exist after Saturday. Do you, do you, are you making this connection? Are you tracking with that? Jesus knew when it was going to end. And his response was to seek the Lord. Jesus knew his purpose. Jesus knew the plan. Jesus told the story to multiple people. But still that last week, he went before God and requested, cried out, longed for the suffering to be taken. My last week on earth, if I knew it was on Next Saturday, doesn't look like that. Might look at yelling at Adrienne and complaining about, why this happened to me? This is about inspiring a forever movement of Jesus' people. We say Jesus is greater than, Jesus is greater than, Jesus is greater than, but what about how does he respond to the stresses of the world? That's how he responded. I'm going to go before the Father. I'm going to cry out and I'm going to shed my tears asking to be rescued from this thing that I know I have to do for the salvation of the world. This is why we can have confidence to enter into the holy of holies. This is why we have have this persistent Desire to pursue Jesus. This is why when we start to feel our hearts be a little hardened or a little desperate different or a little indifferent, and we start to become a little rebellious. This is what we need to look to and say, no, no, no. Even though Jesus was going to go to the cross, even though he knew that he was would come back, even though he, he had this behavior, this practice, this spiritual practice of going before the Father and saying, Please rescue, please help, please sustain me in this even though this is worth following this is inspiring some sort of movement in the life in the heart of the believer this is supposed to to kick us into high gear because now we have a savior who knows our pain our suffering our longing to not have to experience what is here on earth and this is why at the end it's supposed to be encouraging where the writer of Hebrews goes, well, you're dull because you're not catching this. You're not, you're not really grasping what's going on here. Jesus has a compassionate understanding of what's happening in the world. He gets it. So what's, what's that mean to us? How are we supposed to go about that? Okay, here's the deal. I'm going to end with this. Do we have a closing song? I guess I never asked. We do? Okay. Okay. Verse 11, there's much more we'd like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain since you're spiritually dull and so do seem to listen. The writer of Hebrews is saying you have to pay attention to Jesus. He had the strength to overcome. If you follow him, you'll have the strength to overcome in your weakness. If you follow this Jesus, you'll have the strength to overcome in your weakness. Now, he prayed to have death removed, to fill in your weakness blank. What is your weakness? You need to know that. You need to know what it is. What's your weakness? What's the thing that says, this is going to turn me rebellious if I continue to do this? This is actually drawing, pulling me away from God. We all have it. Let's just, like, let's be honest. Let's raise our hand and say, we've got this thing, and Lord, rescue me from it because it's turning my heart away from you. I'm becoming rebellious. So when we come to Jesus, he has already entered in. He's grabbed salvation by the throat and he's passed it on to his people and said, take it and you can follow and live in the way in which I lived. You can echo all that I have done. You can go to the Father. You can invoke the Spirit of God and say, help me in my weakness. You can read Matthew chapter 4 and watch him as he was tempted and do those very things. Those are spiritual practices. But if you come to him and ask him and follow him, your weakness will be revealed. But it doesn't even need to be revealed because you know it. We ignore it. That's called hardening of your own heart. When you ignore your weakness, and you're like, ah, this is why, like, this is the wrong way to preach, by the way. I've used the pulpit for 20 years to be cathartic. And, like, I just, I'm transparent. I throw it out there. Everybody knows. Everybody knows what I am. That's a good way to preach. It's not. It's a horribly, because there's mental health things that I've created in my own space because of it. I just, like, I'm always in my own head, thinking if I should I say that, should I not say that, should I say that, should I not say that. I leaned over anybody that's sitting on this side of the sanctuary. Saw me lean over during worship and say something to Adrienne, and we had a little conversation. I had to say something to her because I didn't want to say it up here. Because something triggered me earlier today. This is in my weakness. I need my person, the one who gets pooped on by Caleb, to help me so that I can follow Jesus well. She'll say a word, she'll give me an encouragement, she'll bump me, even just, even just like the slight little like, stop it, you're stupid. Like, that's helpful to me and it like reminds me that if I come to Jesus for strength, he'll overcome in my weakness. Look to Jesus for an example of obedience. In his suffering, right? Like, it's easy to look at life and say, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. Woe is my life. Look to how Jesus lived out while he was suffering. He went to the Father. He got on his knees. He begged him to remove, remove this from his life. That's an example of how to live while we're suffering. It's an inspiration. It's hope for as we face hardship. It's this thing that we have. It's like we can always pull it out and say, look, I got this. I can play this card every time. Anybody anybody, a Euchre player? Anybody know what Euchre is? If I say, "You," thank you. There's nobody from Michigan here. Does anybody know Euchre? Nobody's like, we don't play cards. Christians don't play cards. (laughs) But in Euchre, if you have a jack in your hand, you're like, I I got at least one trick. I'm going to win. Pitch. Pitch. Nobody plays cards here? I don't even know what that is. I gave two options. But you always have, it's called the the left or the right bower. You always have that card to where you can play it, and you know that you have a chance, a fighting chance, a fighting chance to maybe pull the trick to win the round. This is what we have all the time with Jesus. He's our hope that we can play. Here's the deal. This is the spiritual practices that we need to have. We need to follow after Jesus and follow in obedience. His spiritual practices, identifying how he lived, the watch the way he lived. These are disciplines. Jesus exercised spiritual disciplines. If you haven't done a discovery course yet here at Casper Alliance Church, you should because we talk about spiritual disciplines. It's the primary way in which people grow. It's how you get close to Jesus. You practice what Jesus practiced. You live the way Jesus lived. And you will get close to him and you will inspire hope in your own life. And you'll, you'll fight through this discouragement. And it gives you intention, attention to God's important, purposeful plans in your life. So you stop saying, oh, you don't know me. But you start to go, oh, you know me. You know me. You know who I am. You know what I need. You know how I can function today. You know the, the support and the encouragement. You know the person in my life that needs to come along and give me a bump on the back and say, you can do this. You need to be alert to what God is doing in your life and you need to be alert to the enemy in your life because sometimes those two things, you of the hardened heart can't decipher. You want to blame the bad things on God and the good things on yourself. Look at the work I did. Look at how we've done. Look at all the good things I've done. Okay, I'm going to end with this. This is, um, I'm super fascinated with this right now. I'm going to show you some movie a movie clip. It's a it's a hybrid. It's between two movies. Um, I this is um, this is our earthly example. There's a handful of inspirational people in our history, life's history, like recent history, right? What if you were to poll a lot of people? Most people would say Winston Churchill is 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 one of the most inspirational guys. His speeches, his writings, all those different things inspired people, right? So they they like got after him. And in fact, this last week. Uh, President Bush invoked Churchill and gave it to the Ukrainian president and said, you're the modern day Churchill. That means something, right? It means something because of history, because of what's happened. And people will invoke that or talk about that and be inspired by that. And I'm saying, I'm going to give you a real life example of what's happened, but this can happen in the person of Jesus Christ in our own lives. That when we, in, when we talk about Jesus's movement in our life, it, it should inspire not just us, but the people around us. So, this is how you can live, and this is a better way to live with hope. But these two movies I love one's called The Darkest Hour, and one's Dunkirk. Um, and it's, it's the story of Dunkirk is an an incredible story. It's a true story of, of the, the removal of 300,000 plus troops back to the island. So taking them off the, uh, the Belgian French shore or somewhere like there. And, 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 uh, like civilian ships went across. Who's seen Dunkirk? Anybody seen Dunkirk? The movie, great movie. I love, I'm enjoying it more and more every time I watch it. Go across the channel to bring back the British Uh, army so that they can defend their country of invasion that's potentially going to come. So somebody did a brilliant, and so the the movie The Darkest Hour is the story of Winston Churchill and moving up to where it it ends with the big speech that everybody knows, right? So somebody out there was brilliant and blended all that together for like a six minute video to capture. Now, what did it do? What did this thing do, the speech do? What did Winston Churchill, he inspired a nation, even in a great defeat, really, because they retreated. That's what's happening at Dunkirk. They're retreating off of, of, the Germans are coming, let's get out of here because we're going to lose all of it. We're losing the entirety of it. And so we, we're we losing the continent, is what they would say. And we're going to go back to our island. And we're going to defend from here and then hope to God that at some point we get a battle back. And this story inspired, I believe, an entire European Continent and the rest of the world, because look what some people and some fishermen boats did. We can get involved. Please, Please keep, going. keep going, Lynn. Well, we have six minutes at least. We need a bigger sign than that. I'm not going to keep going. Yeah, right. So watch this. So this is the speech coupled with some of the Dunkirk scenes. Um, all of the teen, the kids in here. I'm sorry, parents. If they want to go home and watch this movie, um, the Dunkirk movie is a brilliant movie of, of just the, the toughness of getting all of these men off of this, this island. But it inspired, inspired. And the life, the life, the speech, the words of Jesus should inspire us to carry out the mission. So get inspired with me as we watch this together.
1: So got us thirty thousand, and then some—almost three hundred thousand. So far, so far. I'm staying for the French. I have myself full confidence that if all do their duty. If nothing is neglected, and the best arrangements are made as they are being made, we shall prove ourselves once more able to defend our army home, to ride out the storm of war, and to outlive the menace of tyranny, if necessary, for years, if necessary, alone. Papers. Go on. Can't bear it. Cure it. Is. Can't bear it. They'll be
0: spitting out us in the streets. They're not locked up waiting for the invasion.
1: Linked together in their cause and in their deed, will defend to the death their native soil, aiding each other like good comrades to the utmost of their strength. Even though large objects of Europe and many old and famous states have have fallen or may fall. Into the grip of the Gestapo and all the odious apparatus of the Nazi rule, we shall not lag or fail. Wars are not won by evacuations. I can't look. But there was a victory inside the deliverance, which should be noted. Our thankfulness for the escape of our army must not blind us to the fact that what has happened in France and Belgium is a colossal military disaster. We must expect another blow to be struck almost immediately. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with, with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island whatever the cost may be. We shall defend our island whatever the cost may be. What? We shall defend our island whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender! <laughs> and if this island were subjugated and starving, then our empire...
0: the story of dunkirk which you have this evacuation evacuation of 300,000 men at the same time this the speech and these things are happening where it's, there's a confluence where they're coming together to create this hope for a nation to fight back many times in our life we take the cross and the cross alone and we say we have salvation we skip the confluence of events, the salvation of the cross, but the, the life and the way in which Jesus lived his practices as those two streams come together. It gives us a, a hope and a way in which we can live. Not just wait to die, but to live. And this is what Hebrews is trying to teach us. No, 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 you're dull. You're not listening. Sure, you've got salvation, and that's great, and we're grateful for it, and we're thankful for it. But there's way more. You need more than just milk. You need the meat. You need the, ah, stop laughing. I said milk, not milk. You need the meat of spiritual food, the practices that Jesus practiced. So there's, at the same time, these things are happening, But we can't just ignore one or the other. It has to become part of our whole life so that we do approach with assurance and confidence the throne of grace. This is, we tend to do either or. Look at the way I live or I got Jesus and I'm fine. And I want them to come together to inspire hope, to fight forward, to battle evil, to bring about good, for the name of Christ, for the kingdom's sake, that's the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of the follower of Jesus. It's not to wait to die. It's not to be done. It's not just to oh, let's let's just let's just hold up. It's to cry each and every day, to practice each and every day, to wrestle down the rebellion in us and the rebellion in the world, so that we can battle back and take back our freedom and life and to use the World War II illustration, our continent. This was given to us. To subdue and to produce good here. Jesus died for it. Your soul and creation. Let his life be an example to inspire. It is death and resurrection be the hope that we can cling to day after day after day that gives us life forever and ever. That's encouraged.